Hi there. Welcome to another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead. We've dipped our toes into real estate, Ron, and we're in the big area. Lots to discuss, lots of different sectors in the real estate investing portfolio that you can look at, and we want to delve into those. And I think, let's start off. One of the reasons people really like real estate is, and and you pointed this out to me, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can see it, you know where it is, right? Yeah, real estate is a tangible asset. And frankly, if you own stocks, you've got this certificate that if you lose it, well... uh, You're out of luck. (laughs) You're out of luck. Well, I mean, you can generally go to the company and get it back, but there's big uh, big, uh, rigmarole. Uh, You know, you have cash. Well, if you lose a $100 bill, it blows down the street, you're done. So many people like real estate because it's tangible. They can go up and kick it. They can live in it. They can take pictures of it. They know it's theirs. And that's one of the reasons it's been so successful for many people is that a lot of people need an investment that gives them the comfort and security of being able to see something there that, frankly, intangible assets like stocks and bonds, they just can't match. So for many people, real estate has been their ticket to wealth because it's the kind of asset they can really relate to, sink their teeth into, believe, and have the confidence to hold on for the long term. And that is the key. Holding on to it for the long term is usually the key which, which makes you the money at the end of the day. Okay, now we're gonna we're gonna get into some of the hard stuff here. This is this is a lot of data driven information here. The real estate cycle can can it predict the future? So where we're moving now is we're going to talk about the drivers that actually move real estate prices. And you'll often see, uh, literally, if you go online, these real estate how to get rich in twenty four hours or less courses. Yeah. And one of the things you hear over and over again is that if you're clever enough and you follow the real estate cycle, that it can make you a lot of money. And if you go back to 1818, uh, peaks in land value pretty much followed an 18-year cycle. Between 1818, there's 1836, 1854, 1872, 1890. Uh, They were 18-year cycles. 1907 was a 17-year cycle. 1925 was an 18-year cycle. for that period of time. Then between 1973 and 1979, it was a six-year cycle. In 79 to 89, it was a 10-year cycle. And then the next cycle was 17 years. So all of a sudden, you have this 18-year cycle is not working like it's worked in the past. So if uh, you're using an 18-year cycle to determine your intros and your extros from the real estate market, I'm just warning you that those haven't been as accurate as they've been in the past. And you might take some of the advice on how to use a real estate 18-year cycle with a bit of a grain of salt. Is, is sometimes government intervention part of this? Or is it, it, what, what causes that to be all over the place now? Well, it could be, number one, it could be wars. Uh, number two, it could be intervention like interest rates. It could be government going in and bailing out uh, real estate markets. Uh, recessions and things recessions like that. Recessions and, uh, for example, when the real estate fell apart in 2006, 2007, it was the fact that government leg- legislation and regulation was just way too lax. So companies got away with murder, and, of course, that 
that really sank the real estate the market. subprime mortgage market oh yeah. totally yeah all right well and let's let's delve into the next part of this so what are the drivers that move real estate well population flows are one big driver that affects the real estate price. And you don't have to go much further than about 400 kilometers north of Edmonton to see that in action. In Fort McMurray, you generally are having people leaving the area because they had a big fire there a couple of years ago. And it's been... Been under pressure from investors moving out, all kinds of different things. Yeah, right? yeah. and the oil prices aren't good. We can't get our oil to market. The political uh, forces seem to be against the industry. And so a classic example has been net migration in this city has been more people moving out than moving in. And that's been very, very tough on the real estate market. If you go up to Fort McMurray and drive around some of the, the residential communities, you'll see for sale signs all over the place. And not only can they not sell them at all, but uh, because there's just absolutely no buyers for them. So even if you lower the price, you're not going to be able to sell it. So that makes a very, very tough environment. So one of the things that you should look for if you're buying a property is to look for properties where you're getting tangible inflows of population. And of course, in Alberta up to about 2014, that was happening here. And so real estate markets till 2014 uh, were, were clipping right along, especially in southern Alberta. But that's changed. I mean, you look at places now like Vancouver, and you look at places like Montreal or Toronto, and they're seeing net migration in, and that is pushing or helping to push real estate prices higher. Okay, the economy is obviously a big part of this, right? Yeah, economic growth has a big influence on house prices. Case in point, it's the data from the Terranet Home Price Index shows Edmonton's home prices were down 2.4%. Um, up to January of 2019. That's the last data I have. Of the 11 major cities surveyed, the only one that lost more ground was Calgary. It was down 2.8% over that time. And if you take a look at Edmonton prices, they flatlined for a decade and they're actually down 6.3% from their peak of September 2007. So here again, we've seen a very, very tough environment for the economy of this region. And so when your good, high-paying jobs disappear and people have uh, higher unemployment rates and an economic slowdown, you have... People don't have the cash to buy houses. Yeah, right? and there's yeah. economic oversupply, and so things start slowing down. So if you're going to buy a place, wait till the bottom. I'm sure there is going to be a turn in the cycle where uh, oil markets pick up, and you're going to get a chance to to buy Alberta real estate again for the next upcycle, but it certainly isn't right now. Okay, land availability. Boy, uh, do we live in the place I can remember, you know, the old line about I could see my dog running away for three days, right? On the prairies, there's nothing but land, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the old joke that if you stand in the center of a it's Saskatchewan on a on a soapbox. You can see all four corners of the province, and it's yeah. almost that. At least you can see to the two corners of the province, and the other two are you can see along the Rockies. So, uh, because we have so much land, I used to sit in my office and look to the horizon in every direction, and it was green, and I could see farm fields in every direction, and you could. There was just an infinite amount of land that you can expand into. So. In places where there's limited land, like Canmore or, or corridors in Vancouver, suitable land is really limited by the mountainous geography. And of course, the less land you have and where supply is limited, 
that's where you tend to have uh, prices going up. So uh, you want to make sure that the availability is the more constricted the availability gets and a classic is is if you've got a nice lake in Alberta without a lot of weeds and when you swim in it you don't get duck itch yeah those properties go for a pretty good price and of course if you've got properties with limited availability waterfront uh, river valley views things like that where there's uh, a, a there's a supply limit that's where you tend to have value holding the best around universities and there's other things to look at but uh, you really want to buy in places that will protect you on the downside where they that have less availability I know we have a son that lives out in in the Vancouver area and uh, we were out visiting out too long ago and they're building a couple of high-rises not too far from where he lives and when I saw the prices that they're projecting there, the cost per square foot, but it's a beautiful view of the Fraser River and the mountains are off in the distance. And I, I thought, okay, I guess that justifies it. But boy, oh boy, it's a lot of money. Right? Yeah, my son, I, in fact, two weeks ago, I was out in Victoria helping pack and move. So uh, I thought I'd never have to do that again is, is help somebody load a van. But I was out there and my back is still feeling it. But... <laughs> I helped him move from Victoria to Vancouver, and in Victoria, he had a place that was around, uh, it was one bedroom, it was probably around 800 square feet, and he was paying $1,300 a month for it. Well, he moves to Vancouver, and he gets a bachelor place that I think is maybe 400, 400 square, square feet. Yeah. yeah, and he's paying uh, $300 a month more. And it's not even, it's in a not bad location, but it's not a great location. So, you know, here again, everybody wants to be in Vancouver, and because of it, you're paying for it. Okay, now let's talk about location. That's, uh, you know, location, 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 as the old saying goes. Yeah, and of course, if you're in Alberta, you're saying, well, that's great to have location, but I don't want to buy properties in Toronto, and I don't want to probably buy properties in Vancouver or Vancouver Island. But in an, even in flat prairie cities, there's some areas that are better than others. So properties backing onto golf courses, rivers, lakes, wooded ravines, public parks, next to university or in historic areas or neighborhoods, that really will tilt the d demand pendulum in your favor. If you buy in areas, like when I bought in Las Vegas in 2010, I got a map with all the communities in the nice middle-class neighborhoods that were close to schools, public transportation, hospitals, freeways, and shopping. And if you go and you look at just using those criteria, you find that there's a fairly limited subset of houses that are available in all three. And especially in Vegas, if you've got places with uh, uh, gated neighborhoods, and um, then I went through and I, I drew circles around these, these areas. There was about four areas I really liked. And then I took my car and I drove through the areas, and I looked for areas where I could find hopscotch chalked into the pavement, and basketball hoops uh, on the curb and or hockey maybe a nets. hockey net or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's lots of Canadians down there, so it's surprising how many hockey nets you see. And if you see that stuff, you know that it's a family neighborhood. Yeah, it's a family neighborhood, and you know that people are comfortable enough with their neighbors that they're willing to let their kids play on the street. And boys might be one thing, but most parents are really protective of girls. So if you see hopscotch and in in jump ropes and yeah. jump ropes and or you see girls out playing hockey, you know that that has to be a pretty safe neighborhood, and that is an important factor because if you've got families with kids, 
that makes that neighborhood very exclusive because if you're a parent, you need a school, uh, you need recreation facilities, but more than anything, if you need kids, a safe environment, yeah, if your kid's walking home from school, you want a safe environment. So location, there's a lot of things that you can look at other than just these cities like Vancouver and Toronto that give you that location, 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 and do give you some exclusivity. Okay, interest rates is something that always has to factor in here. Uh, boy, I think back to the first house that my wife and I purchased was back in, uh, uh, well, the early 80s, I guess it was, and the interest rates were through the roof. Uh, you know, we were paying, I think, mortgage rates at the time were around 20%. Yeah, I, and, I got mine at 21. At yeah. one, I, thankfully, I only took a two-year term, and when I renewed it, it was down to 16, and the next two-year term, it was down to about 11. But still, when you look at how little you were buying and how much you're paying for it, it was amazing. Oh, it was. Yeah, it, 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 that's a long time ago, but it, it was a good lesson. It was a lesson well learned for me about interest rates. And of course, if rates go up like that, it what it does, it's a wrecking ball to real estate prices. Because the higher rates go, it means the higher your mortgage payments are. The higher your mortgage payments are, the fewer people qualify to do that. And it just has that snowballing effect, snowballing effect that, yeah. that can really hurt you. So be careful buying in a rising real estate or a rising interest rate market. If you're going to buy, one of the things you should be looking at is where rates are. If they're falling or, or even if they look like they're only going to go up a bit, you've got the wind at your back. Demographics. Here again, if you're investing in a neighborhood, spend some time figuring out the demographic profile of that neighborhood and a couple of, of examples. If you're in Qualicum Beach or Parksville, and I saw a statistic the other day that that is the oldest age demographic by postal code in Canada. And the reason is people can move out there because the housing is reasonable and uh, the weather is nicer. So if you're going to buy in that region, then it's probably not a bad idea to say the largest bulk of buyers are people that are older and what are the features that they like? Well, they like bungalows so they don't have to go up and down stairs. Uh, they like houses that don't have a lot of steps to get into, so the, you know, getting in and getting out is easy. They like usually a covered garage because they don't like leaving their car outside. If it's raising, they can drive right in. So there's a whole bunch of features like that that they, they tend to really like. So in that neighborhood, you want to buy the types of homes that, they, that your target market will like. In downtown Toronto, well, young urban professionals, so the double income, no kids, uh, and single income, no kids, the sinks and dinks as they're called, are your prominent demographics. So typically in those areas, it's areas that are close to subways, it's areas that are close to good eating, because a lot of them don't have cars, it's areas that are close to work so that they can do virtually everything they do without a car. So here again, if you're buying in Toronto, you're looking for a different kind of property that will ex have higher appreciation because you want to buy a property where the bulk of the people are looking for that kind of property. And the final one here is taxes. Uh, that's uh, some jurisdictions, taxes are getting pretty steep, right? And there's, there's some really interesting research that's been done in the U.S. And they show immigration, the effect that immigration both in and out has, you know, as a factor of taxation. And there's a, a high correlation between the higher the taxes in a region, the higher the 
outflow people you're going to have. The migration. Yeah, the migration. Right. Yeah. So, you know, your migration is going to depend to partially on, on taxation. Now, in some places, it doesn't seem to matter too much. Like Vancouver has high taxes. BC has high taxes. But it hasn't stopped people from moving in Vancouver. So it's not a factor that is overly influential, but it's certainly something that you have to take into account, especially if you're in an area that doesn't have a lot of these other things going for it, and it's got high taxes, well, people are going to move out. Well, you you made a, a note here. Roughly 300 people move out of the greater New York area each day. That's a million people in the last nine years. Yeah, they're moving elsewhere because, frankly, it's almost impossible to live in downtown New York unless you work on Wall Street. And even then, Wall Street's laying off a lot of people because the the tax tax rates in, in New York have, have just become, uh, it's just exclusive. It's prohibitive. It's yeah. prohibitive. It excludes too many people. And the old, you, you got a line here, lower taxes attract businesses and jobs, high taxes drive them away. That argument's been that that argument rages with politicians that you know don't approve of tax cuts, but sometimes tax cuts can be pretty effective. So, if you're looking for real estate, here again, a lot of this, frankly, is just mechanical. So you make yourself a list of are people moving in or are they moving out? Are interest rates going up or they're going down? Is the economy good or is the economy bad? Is this a safe neighborhood or an unsafe neighborhood? Yeah, exactly. And you just go through and frankly, if you've got it, uh, you're looking at a property and the price is right and it checks off a lot of the boxes and you can get a reasonable price, that means you should be looking at it. Okay. Next installment, we're going to talk about the different types of real estate investments. And you, you have raw land, you have rental properties, you have, well, the list seems almost endless. We'll delve into that the next time around on Making Money. If there's something we haven't clarified, you have a question, don't forget you can reach out to us on our website, letsmakemoney.ca, or through the cfcw.com website. The questions will come to our inboxes, and we'll be happy to address them. The show is called Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead, back to talk more real estate next time around. We'll join you then. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.